We're back! We're back! It's a distraction! I'm Drew! That's Roth! How you doing, Roth? I'm good. Man, this is a lot of energy. Holy shit. Woo! Well, you haven't even begun to get even the faintest trace of my energy. Because you know what? You know what time it is, Roth? You know what? What's, what time is it, Drew? I don't... Is something cool about to happen? I'll tell you what's happening. It's coming home! Oh, it's coming geez. home! Oh, God. What, you think it's not coming out? It's coming home. Are you is. having a laugh? Are you having a laugh, mate? <laughs> is he taking the piece? Any any excuse I can use to deploy an absolutely shitty British accent. I saw it. So Drew uh, cutting his It's Coming Home promo, which we controversially tweeted from the uh, Defector account the other day. I saw a lot of earnest responses from that, as if it was from you. People being like, Drew, I love you. I love your work. I, like, I've been a big fan forever. Don't do this anymore. It was. Like, it, never post a video <laughs> like this again. Someone said I had British teeth when they saw that video, and I was That's actually I was offended by that. That's very... I have one snaggle tooth, but come on now. Come on now. That's I don't, like character. I, mean, I don't... Yeah. I don't like chew pipe tobacco until my teeth are like this, you know... Dirt colored and shit like I that. I think it's good to have teeth that have a little bit of character. If Jewel showed up with a with a bunch of Rudy Giuliani veneers in her mouth, I think everybody would fall out of love with Jewel, that's who is the, now celebrating her twentieth year as America's sweetheart. That's certainly right. not following right. your heart or your intuition. Hey, oh, that's, that's oh, that's our guest. It's Kelsey McKinney, the People's Champ. Author Kelsey McKinney is with us. Hi, Kelsey. We were remiss in introducing you like but if you're gonna come in like a cannonball off the high dive with a jewel reference that's how kelsey mckinney makes her presence known. i don't want to be a part of any of this british thing that's happening so i'm glad you <laughs> waited <laughs> it's better for me the rest of the defector staff is so anti-british it's frankly racist and it disgusts me <laughs> like everyone's like oh Eng oh i hate england i don't want england to be happy england's yeah. bad oh. Drew, everyone's read your columns in the daily mail about this we're all familiar with your stance it sounds to me like everyone who's anti-english just a bunch of snowflakes who refuses to acknowledge that he's coming out coming out i'm just happy to see england at what might be the most normal moment in its cultural history uh flourishing on the pitch yeah that's right that's what so anyway kelsey's not here to talk about England. She's here to talk about our new book and about other shit too. But we, first, we gotta we gotta do some standard book talk uh, because uh, Kelsey's new novel, uh, "God Spare the Girls," her first novel, her debut novel, came out oh. last week. I've read it; it's very good. And uh, Kelsey put pretty much everything she had into the book. So, congratulations, Kelsey. How do you feel as a newly published author? Thank you so much. I feel like I'm dead. So that's exciting. Um, yeah, you know, you work really hard on something and then you get extremely stressed and then your adrenaline crashes. And now I feel like I've had a hangover for like four days. So that's yeah, exciting. Yeah. I love it. It's really good for my work, I think. This has been a really interesting ride for me. Kelsey has been, you know, very supportive of everybody on the team in our writing. She's a really good presence in the workplace. And she has told me like basically in the same breath, like you could definitely write a book also, writing a book is awful. Don't do it. Which I, I appreciate both pieces of advice, honestly. Like, uh, it, it's really helped me balance the, my uh, ambition and then also my wish to just lie perfectly still in the dark. It's not really that bad. Drew, that nobody, bad. the thing is, your work ethic and capabilities are just like beyond the rest of us. So. Yeah. Roth, uh, listen to me. I'm not even, I'm not even <laughs> jealous of it. He's just different. It's like if I was mad that there's like, you know, whatever. If I saw a gazelle running and I was like, he, looks, he thinks he's so cool because he can run like that. It's different. I don't. I, I don't have two legs. I'm not. I'm not special enough to 
to warrant all that nice talk. And that's not even false modesty. Like, there's a certain like there's a certain false modesty you need to have online where you're like, oh, I'm so stupid, lol. And you know, everyone's like that on Twitter. And I know I'm not that. Like, I know, I know I'm smart. I know I'm good at what I do and all that shit. And, but also, and I don't, your I don't teeth, write. You only have one weird one. I don't write after five. I don't write on weekends. I really, all I give a fuck about is like whether or not I can buy some nice food. Wait, you to, write during bankers hours? You just like yeah, street, get up in the morning and write during the day? Yeah, fuck yeah. I don't, I don't write at night. I don't do any of that shit. Because I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I want to enjoy myself at night. I can't, I don't want to like work at night. That sucks. Nobody wants to have my work habits, and so I'm just going to leave it out of there. Kelsey, you wrote this book during long, weird nights, right? Like, not, like, at, like, one in the afternoon. Is that fair? Yeah, I like to write in a way where, um, you know, you write it right on the brink of sleep, and then you wake up and just see if there's anything there that is salvageable. <laughs> that, to me, is Also, fun. the David Roth message. Yeah, it's. I think I need to, like, get to a point where everything that's preventing me from writing during the day, all the whatever anxieties or... Um, other, you know, mental health issues, the whole suite of them uh, that I can describe <laughs> at length. <laughs> like, those need to be, like, they basically have to go to bed before I do, and then, yeah, you can sneak some shit in before, uh, before you know, they wake back up. Yeah, I can also write in the very early morning, like, immediately upon waking, before I have had enough coffee to recognize my flaws. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I do that, too, because, like, in this house, like, I get up before everyone else, and so that's really the only time I can take advantage of shit. Like, even before the dog wakes up and I don't have to deal with a fucking dog or any of the kids or any of their bullshit. Like, I got, like, an hour. And so, like, no one's going to interrupt my train of thought, which is very important. Like, I get all pissy if I'm thinking hardcore about a really good dick joke I want to make. And, like, my son <laughs> comes in and he's like, Dad, can I have a hug? I'm like, fuck off. I don't need you here. Right? In the middle of an elaborate, now it's gone. Important, yes, that's right. I've lost a penis joke because of you, boy. <laughs> so, anyway, but anyway, so well, yeah, I talk about Kelsey's book because, and this is not uh, a mandatory plugging. I really, I want to talk about uh, something deep about it because it's set in Texas, where you grew up, Kelsey. Uh, the main two main protagonists are sisters, and you are a sister. Uh, and uh, it takes place in uh, an evangelical household. And I do believe, Kelsey, that you did grow up in an evangelical household. Is that correct? Yes, all of these are facts. Okay, so uh, there are two uh, main characters in the book, the sisters, Caroline Nolan and Abigail Nolan. Abigail is essentially the good girl, and apologies if I summarize this too too much, and uh, Caroline is the one who has more doubt. Uh, And... I would say in real life, you probably err on the side of someone who is more a Caroline than an Abigail. Would you agree with that? No, I'm absolutely, right. I'm absolutely Excellent. an Abigail. So it's like the two sisters are like, uh, many sibling dynamics have this situation, but it's like the oldest child who is good at following rules and good at getting things done and like too type A. And then the younger child who has like more breadth to believe in themselves and like look around them. And I certainly am closer to Abigail on that spectrum in that, like, it wasn't until I was, like, a full adult that I was able to have any chill at all. Can I ask you then about, I want to talk to you personally about faith, because it's a meditation on faith, the book, but in an entertaining way. I don't want you, like, I want people to know that this is, like, not this boring. book moves. <laughs> yes, it is not boring. Uh, but your own personal faith obviously played into it. What is the state of your faith today compared to when you were younger, let's say 20 years, 10, 20 years ago. 
It's funny because when I started writing this book, I never, ever talked about the fact that I grew up evangelical and I never talked about it online and never wrote about it. So it was like this nice little secret that I had. And I forgot that when you uh, write something publicly, then you have to talk about it. So this has been an interesting experience because now everyone is like, what do you believe? And I'm like, I don't want to talk about that. I don't even want to think about it. And it's like, it's my own (laughs) damn fault, right? Like I put out this book and so now I'm forced to. Um, That's right. I grew up extremely evangelical and very Christian, and I now am neither of those things. So I don't really know exactly what I believe. Like, I don't have a good doctrine at all, um, but I don't believe the things I grew up believing. I will say that. Do you go to church? No. Uh, do you even go to church on Christmas as I do, just for the sake of, like, ritual? And I, would, kind of- I would if my, like, family asked me to. But one of the weird things about evangelicalism is that there isn't a ton of liturgy that isn't directly connected to what you believe, right? So, like, you can right. be culturally Catholic or culturally Jewish even and have kind of religious adjacent experiences and not believe in any of the, like, tenets or core faiths that are required. Yeah, it's a lot of people in this country, but evangelicalism doesn't allow for that. It's like either you are fully on the train or you're not. And if you're not on the train, there's nothing there for you. So, like, I could go to a Christmas Eve service, except then I would be, um, you know, called a heathen and asked to, like, reconvert. So I usually do not. I choose Could you go to, like, a Unitarian church or, like, a Universalist church? Yeah. Everyone can go to it. That's the whole point of Unitarian (laughs) churches is that you can... That, that's I have a friend that grew I don't up think Unitarian and described ever... the faith to me. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I don't think anyone ever stops you from coming into their church. That's like one of the tenets of churches, right? Is to be like, hello, welcome. Yeah, it's not Scientology. It's cool. Like, yeah. they're like, yeah, here you go. Like, here's a free Bible. We're not going to charge you $2,000 and put you through a psych eval before you get the fucking Bible. You can have the entire Bible right now. That's very nice of them to do. Roth, Wait, is you... that real? They'll give you a Bible? Roth, uh... Nice. As a tribesman, do you go to temple regularly? I go on the high holidays with my parents when they want me to. Um, okay. I don't belong to a, a you know congregation in New York, and my sister, you know, I, if we had kids, like I think I would probably be something that I would do again, more or less out of obligation. And my sister and her husband do belong to a congregation, and it's very progressive. But it's basically just about like sort of connecting the kids to the culture. I mean, there's not okay. a lot of like the, you know, I grew up Reformed Jewish and it's, you know, as, you know, sort of the opposite side of the coin that Kelsey was describing. I mean, that there are, you know, like when I go to the holidays at, you know, Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur, it's going to be, you know, I know the the passages that will be read. I'm like familiar with exactly everything that's going to happen in the service. But all of that is kind of adjacent to and like almost like kind of vestigial relative to the like the ritual of like going and being there and like yes. standing up at certain points and sitting down at others. Whereas like, I mean, I think, and that part of it, you know, I would love a little bit more of a like active sense of, um, you know, what it all means and why it matters, I think to a certain extent, but that's also not the experience that I'm signing on for. Like if I want that, I go to a different uh, congregation than like the one in suburban New Jersey that my parents have been going to since I was like six. All right, so then what is the state, Roth, of your belief? And we're going to talk about sports in a second. But <laughs> I know. I, I really like the direction but that I want, you're going I want in to on ask, this podcast. I want to ask both of I you. I didn't even write a book. like this. I've been hiding from this shit, and I still have to answer this. <laughs> tough shit, yeah. Tough shit. You have to answer back. All right, I, let's get it. 
Because I, I, I think about this stuff too a lot now, you know, particularly after you know, facing my own mortality. Roth, what is your state of, of how you perceive God, if you perceive God at all? I mean, I, I do perceive God. I mean, I believe in it. I think of, uh, I, I mean, I don't exactly see like an active hand in uh, the day-to-day. Um, although, you know, the Old Testament God is a, a complicated one, right? Like, so not a nice God. Different, yeah, not the one that people like really want to like cozy up to or, or party with necessarily. And I always admired that about him. I am saying that because I'm afraid of him. But I also <laughs> like, there's an element of uh, like, I guess like the the sort of the harshness of it fits to me. That there's like an element of, of like cuddliness um, to certain like sort of pop Christian faith stuff that I uh, can't relate to. Whereas like sort of the like astringency and harshness and starkness of, uh, you know, my faith is like, I, you know, I like it well enough. I think I really just don't understand it. Like, I think the, uh, Talia Lavin was uh, posting about this the other day that like in reform uh, Jewish education, like when I was going to school before uh, I got bar mitzvah, you know, like the little Saturday school stuff they'd have us do. It was like we learned the Hebrew alphabet and we learned how to pronounce things, but we never learned any words. And I think that that's like a ridiculous way to teach kids something because it's useless. Like I can sound out a Hebrew word and read it out loud, which is what I needed to do to get through my bar mitzvah. But I don't know what most of them mean. And that is like to me, like it's not even a a metaphor. I mean, it's just basically like you learn to make the sounds, but you don't know anything about what the content of those sounds could be. Like, that's a kind of a disappointing type of faith to have. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, obviously the alternative, you know, as Kelsey has written about and talks about, is, like, something so totalizing that you only understand things through the lens of, uh, you know, that perspective. Like, that's not what you want either. Right, right, right. It's more, it would be more absolute. And that reminds me of kind of when we were talking to Peter Brandon about how geology is taught. And they always start with the boring shit. And they don't, yeah. like, they don't. They don't go into the applications of the sort of the poetry of it, like which is the cool shit. They need to do yeah. that first. So you or get even the it. or even like the metal stuff that kids fall in love with. You know, like yeah. just give me more volcanoes in the monitor. Yeah, usually it's like, hey, is this rock igneous or is it sedimentary? And you're like, I don't. F- it's a rock. Who gives a fuck? Like you know, it's not. Can I ask Kelsey a question about the book? Yes. Based on not having read the book, but having uh, listened to her talk about it and read her uh, Q and A with my three on the site. I'll allow it. <laughs> all right, good. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, all right, I'll, I will approach. I will approach the bench. <laughs> the you write in there about, um, or you talk to my three about some of the research that you did being just like following uh, evangelical influencers on Instagram and kind of like looking at how sort of like strange, not just like their their lives might seem, you know, uh, on our you know rootless coastal lifestyle wavelength, but the performance of it, the like the way that they sort of had to be like, oh, you know, I have like a fucking screaming argument with my husband literally every day, but I love him. He's the best thing that ever happened to me. And like, I guess like the, the sort of the theatricality of evangelical faith has always been the thing that's kind of, I guess it's, it's what you see if you don't grow up in it. Like how, uh, how do you write about that in a way that lets you get past the sort of the soft shoe, uh, you know, like influencer projection of it? Yeah, this is, I mean, when you were talking about thinking of God as kind of a, like, 
almost malevolent God, right? Like one who is very strict and harsh. I was mm-hmm. just thinking about how all of the women in like children's ministries and evangelical um, churches, when they pray, they pray to daddy, like they call God daddy. Oh they my do? Is, oh yeah. Shit. Oh yeah. And so, and I was like, Ooh. oh my God, I had like blocked that from my memory and something about you talking like forced me to remember this. So I'm mad at you. We're in a fight. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> Part of the reason they literally call him daddy. Oh yeah, like they're like dad. dear daddy, father God. Yeah, uh, that is oh yeah, stressing to because me. the idea of evangelical Christianity is the exact opposite of what you're talking about, right? It's the idea that like you have been saved, everything's all good, the Lord is a good and like righteous person who wants to like be close to you all the time. So there's like an intimacy that they're trying to create in that space. Um, that I think that it's, you know, sure, Freud would have a lot to say about that. But I, to answer your question about like, how do you approach something that is so theatrical and is so kind of not, it's not even extreme as much as it is like just extremely diluted, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. very, extremely undiluted, excuse me. It's like very, very particular in what they're trying to do is you know, I look at those girls and I do follow a lot of them. And like what you're describing is what Trey and I jokingly call my dumb oaf of a husband syndrome, which is where they'll write posts that are like, we dropped the baby. Like together we have made a failure. And you're like, this is your husband. Your husband dropped the baby. Like you can say that that he dropped the baby. It's fine. No one is going to be like, oh, you got to divorce him. And they're, they kind of have these narratives that are like, my marriage is awful. Right. And like, we fight every single day and we hate each other and like, we're miserable. And that's just what marriage is. And anyone who's like in a healthy marriage reads these and is like, what? You're doing yeah, what? Like, I think you're I think you're yelling too much. Like you're definitely fighting way more often than normal people. Right. Also, like I think maybe this isn't a great match if you're fighting every single day about everything. But there's kind of this performance aspect to it where you have to ask, like, okay, is this even true? Right? Are they counting these like tiny little tips as fights and then projecting this like suffering out into the world? And so what I tried to do in the book and what I think I did is to not look at those things as if, and not look at those women as if they are like zoo animals and be like, isn't this such a weird, strange thing that they're doing? Mm -hmm. But to ask like, okay, how did they end up in this situation? And also what is the like insecurity behind those posts? Right? Like, is the, go ahead. No, because the book had that and you were just talking about the people on Instagram where, and this has been true throughout the bulk of my life where, People, a lot of people use religion and marriage uh, as a form of lifestyle branding, but particularly now online, like they have the tools to be able to do that. And that is often uh, not only separate from their private faith, but can also sometimes be in opposition to it. And I think the book uh, illustrates that very well. Uh, and I actually, I have no question now. I was just making a comment, Kelsey, and I, I, I have, that doesn't lead to a question of any sort. I and I have comments. failed. I mean, and in I, fact, in fact, we have failed. We have failed to ask a proper question, Kelsey. Now that we, I think Drew it. and I together dropped the baby. Yeah, we dropped the baby. <laughs> Terrible. Thank you for your honesty in this Can I space. Some, <laughs> just to finish that, the thought that you had there, Kelsey, like who is the 
because Instagram obviously is like you're just sort of out there acting like the whole world is watching you. I mean, for certain types of people, I don't know. I got a locked account and I just post like pictures of the dogs that we like from the neighborhood. <laughs> uh, but the who who is the performance for? Do you think like is it because it feels kind of from what you're describing, it feels like recursive. Like it seems like the idea is basically that you are not just like projecting uncertainty out so everybody thinks that like oh she's she's human or whatever but that it's like a way of kind of like turning the actual psychosis that you would feel as like a 21 year old married person with a kid and like making that you know something more like a show and less like what you're actually experiencing yeah i think that i mean i don't know why that happens i don't know what the i think there is a large impulse in evangelical Christianity and one that is encouraged to say, like, I am broken, I am sinning, right? That mm-hmm. is like the tenet of, of evangelical Christianity is that you like need Jesus and cannot do anything without him. So there is kind of an impulse to be like, I'm miserable at all times, even when you are like a young, beautiful white woman with like an adorable baby and plenty of money. The impulse is to be like, I'm terrible. Everything is bad. So I think that's some of it. And then I think, I think some of it, and this is like a big question of the book is like, why, what is marriage for and why do we do it? Right. And I think that in communities that are extremely evangelical, the idea is still that like, getting married is what you have to do in order to do the things you want to do after, right? So for a lot of young women who are like, I want to be a mom or I want to have a career, their idea of their future is one in which they have to get married before they can do any of that. And so they end up marrying, you know, the, the second guy they date, right? And right, like your fucking college boyfriend or yeah, high school boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And-, and so it's, it's interesting because I think those relationships can work out, but you're all as an outsider, it's easy to be like, okay, if you married the second guy you dated and you're fighting every day, this might not have been the move. But everyone around them is also in that same relationship. And so they're like, yeah, it's totally normal. Like a, a friend of mine, my friend Chrissy and I are constantly talking about this because we grew up in the same kind of circle and would hear these girls in Bible studies be like, my boyfriend, like he never texts me back, but like, we're going to get engaged. And we would be like, why don't do that? (laughs) That's a terrible idea. Either fix both of those or eliminate both of those. But there's no way to, yeah, God. So it's just, Uh, we got to, we have to talk, we do have to talk about sports, but uh, before I do, I just want to say that the book is very good. And the central plot is really about whether or not Abigail and Caroline are coming home. home. (laughs) No, absolutely not. Drew, bad. (laughs) We'll take a break and come back and talk sports. We'll be right back. We're back. Let's talk about sports. There's two things we need to talk about. Actually, we can talk about a lot of things, but we should talk about baseball, Kelsey, and Roth, because uh, while Kelsey was busy defeating the horrible condiment robot, at Nationals Park, uh, yeah. baseball just uh, just in like I don't even know how to describe what they did. It's very impossible for me to describe what baseball is doing at any given moment. But they essentially try to crack down on sticky stuff by enforcing all the rules that they had for sticky stuff in place and never bothered to enforce in years past. So now we have TSA checks at the mound 
with umps playing like fucking CSI and being like, yeah. well, this like this... what if what if Cowboy Joe West was also Judge Dredd? <laughs> right. If you yeah. ever wondered how that would work. And the great thing is that I believe, and I, I, I said this to Barry earlier today, that I think it has the has had the inadvertent effect of doing exactly what Mom, Rob Manfred wanted was to was to bring personality out in baseball. Because now you have Max Sugar Scherzer being like, what you want me Max to strip Sugar. down to my dick? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. You want Max Scherber, Schwarber, to be like, hey, Scherber. I'm going to strip down. I'll do it. Here you go. And people like in, in, in pitchers in like, in pitchers in, uh, in postgame being like, oh, this is bullshit. This fucking sucks. And like, I'm seeing much more, I'm seeing much more identity out of these players now than I ever have, all because baseball fucked this up so badly. Am I wrong, Roth? It's only one identity, but it is like, it's the identity that baseball players inhabit the most. Like this is, if you've ever wondered what it means when people are like, yeah, that person's a red ass, like it's all out there now. Like if you wanted to see like what Max Scherzer's actual fucking damage was, like how, he seems like also one of those guys, it's one of my favorite types of baseball players to be, where like he's apparently just like an intense, but like very intelligent and like focused guy, except on the days that he's pitching. And then he's like, the predator from the movie predator like he's just a complete maniac like rich hill is famously the same way so like the idea of like some umpire being like oh max like hate to do this like um you mind taking your your belt off in front of all these people like that's basically like approaching uh like a wild animal and being like funny story i know you're a lion uh i just wanted to talk to you a little bit about whether like uh you were interested in amway like you're gonna get eaten by this creature that you're approaching just by dint of having to be there. Right. And in this case, it's like, it just, it's screwed up at every level. Like that it's like, it's not going to really work very well in terms of enforcement. It's going to make the players look bad. And it's also probably not going to clean shit up very effectively because again, like as you were saying, like Joe West is not like a CSI tech. Like he's like just, no. like his whole body is the area between his chin and his neck at this point. He's just like an elderly reactionary, uh, baseball fixture like he's not going to be like oh yeah that's spider tack and this is something else like why would you ask him to do any of that there was a very old uh story in the new yorker written by the great david gran and it was it was about how a man was uh, wrongly convicted of arson and he was convicted on the testimony of a cop who had had like 20 or 30 years in investigating arson and it just happened to be that this cop had really no scientific background and so even though he had been in the field for 20 or 30 years, that didn't mean he was an expert. It only meant that his idiocy had been hardened into what was what could pass as experience, and it got the man convicted. And so, like, yeah. if you're an op who's like, I've been looking at sticky stuff for 20 years now, I know exactly the mixture of rosin and sunscreen and, and wheat flour that went into this. Like, you're full of shit. You didn't fucking yeah. know anything. I believe that's also a Texas story, Kelsey. Not to steer it back to you too. No, uh, no, it should go abruptly. back to Kelsey because yeah. Kelsey is here to talk about sports I, and not just God. I do watch sports. It's true. Um, yeah. No, and you're famously. a Nats fan. Was I unfair to Max Scherzer? Is he actually no? Uh, I think not as frightening as that. I mean, I so I think this is all stupid. Like I'm like let them cheat. Who cares? Because I yeah. like. I just think that that's fine. But I do agree with you, Drew, that this is a mess and I love it. Like every <laughs> single one of these guys, I'm like, check Joe Kelly four times. Do it. You won't. Go out there. <laughs> go out there four batters in a row. Like just make him show you because I would just love to see what happens. Um, and Max it, is like. It does seem like they've like sought out the 
like the biggest like rage freaks for some of the early checks. Pitchers are crazy. <laughs> yeah, you it have is to be. the craziest position. It always has been. Like, who is it that used to like jump three feet over the foul line every time? This is a guy to remember. I mean, oh, Turk Wendell. There we Turk go. Turk Wendell, yeah. <laughs> he had a bunch of, he had like all of the quirks in baseball for a period of about five years. Like every weird thing that, like he just did all of them and everybody else was just normal. Yeah. But he like brushed his teeth between innings. That's he had all good. kinds of, of stuff going on. Yeah. But Low, I think you're right, the like, week. they always say like, you know, little league coaches are always like, you got to get in the zone. You got to get yourself into the zone. And as a kid, I was always like, what does this even mean? Like, I don't understand <laughs> what the zone is. And you watch Max Scherzer pitch and you're like, that guy is so far into the zone that like, I don't know if he'll ever come back. Like, yeah. he might be stuck <laughs> there. He like, have you ever seen him live? Like in the stadium? Yeah. They don't show this. Oh, yeah. But he stalks around the little pitcher's mound between every batter. Like he's like a prow- on the prowl. And you're just yeah. like, what? He changes uniforms every inning. I'm like, this guy is nuts. Wait, he changes uniforms every inning? Yes, I love that shit. Because he That's gets too great. sweaty. And you, then you follow his wife on Instagram and it's just like him holding his like three beautiful daughters. And you're like, wait. <laughs> Yeah, this is the story with all of these guys. Like, apparently, like, Rich Hill is just, like, legitimately one of the, like, the best, most beautiful humans in the sport. But when he pitches, like, you can't make eye contact with him. Because he'll be like, what? What are you fucking looking at? <laughs> that's like, also a teammate, dude. <laughs> like, you that's also can't a good, be like this. That's always uh, in the background story about, uh, like, football players and stuff. Where the guy's like, oh, he's the nicest guy off the field. Then you get him on the field. He'll fucking eat you alive. Yeah, like they're just—they can't wait to just tell you what a complete and utter sociopath this guy will. Turn it is kind into. of funny too, though, as like to Kelsey's earlier point that like the, the, these guys can barely deal with umpires under the very best and most controlled and normal of circumstances, and then the idea of just having it be like like basically asking these guys to like take their pants off on the field in front of everyone like. That's not going to go well. Like, how well could it possibly go? Well, and it's going yet, great it's for of... us. But I know. I was going to say, it's great for everyone that wants to watch, like, greatest Sergio Romo freakout videos on YouTube that are, like, 75 minutes long. Well, they're getting longer, It's I guess. only going to get worse. I'm like, it's just a matter of time before someone is standing on their under- in their underwear on the mound. And I'm like, that's yep. going to be a blessed day. I can't wait. <laughs> And hopefully it'll happen in the playoffs too, you know, like it, it, it all, the intensity will only, and like the visibility will only be jacked up that much more so. So it's going to be like, it's going to be like, Kelsey, you know, do you play- have a number one guy that you want to see get inspected? I, I oh, just realized Joe, that. I, I just really want Joe Kelly to get it inspected like three times in an inning. I'm <laughs> obsessed with Joe Kelly because I think he's so funny. Like he said, the in a, pouty face is the, an iconic the moment. The pouty yes. faces kill me. He said in some press conference the other day that he has a new alter ego that he yes, calls Joseph and Joseph <laughs> throws strikes. And I'm just like, this guy, he rules. Check him four times. See what happens. Yeah. For me, it's uh, James Karinchak from oh. the uh, Indians, who's a, a maniac and like probably like has a bunch of bad beliefs, but basically acts like a like Connor O'Malley in the like Howard Schultz videos out there, like talking to himself and yelling into his glove. And the idea of like trying to approach that guy as a reasonable person when he's like that and being like, "It's simple, man. You just got to take your pants off." Like that is <laughs> going to end in some really intense ways. Uh, I want to talk about uh, college uh, sports, too, because this was the week that the NCAA finally surrendered to the NIL laws. And so, and you know, I'm, I, I believe that, that colleges can take advantage of this 
quickly, depending on the laws in their state. I know the NCAA was like, well, whatever your state wants to do, we don't know. It's like doing their standard passing the buck shit. Anyway, so I was reading about um, like how USC is already being like, okay, we're in Los Angeles. We need to take advantage of this. Like we're going to train our players to have brands and like cook them up with studios and all this crazy shit that I didn't even think about, like, but is, is perfectly natural. So my, my question to you, Kelsey, is because you're a fan of Texas and Texas has the resources to take advantage of NIL laws, but they've had the resources to take advantage of a lot of shit over the past two decades and they fucked it all up. Are there schools like Texas that will clearly benefit from uh, this or will it, will anything make a difference, will it not make a difference in the long run? Will anything really mm-hmm. substantially change for schools and for fans? I mean, as a Texas fan, let me just start off by saying, uh, fuck USC. And <laughs> I don't care what they're doing, and I hope we don't do it. Um, I do find it kind of humorous to think about the idea of an institution like Texas that is very slow moving and often rather behind teaching a bunch of 22 year olds how to have a brand. Like <laughs> they know, they know they're all, they all have like 500,000. The long jumper at Texas has like 300,000 followers on Instagram. Like I am just very doubtful that the schools are really the ones <laughs> that need to be coming in here um, and helping. I don't know. I mean, I don't know how some the- buddy Garrity guy in yeah. a hat trying to explain TikTok to someone. It's just I like, just, I like, think they get it, man. The journalism school at Texas, which I was not in, still has a typing test. And I'm like, my That's dudes, fantastic. we're so far <laughs> past that. And I think Texas is confusing because they're extremely good at making money and always have been. And so I am certain they will find a way to turn this into like the UT Network's little baby that makes them a ton of money by accident and that they will have all of these guys like posing with Matthew McConaughey in 12 seconds. But I do, I don't know. I mean, I do hope it helps the the athletes a little bit. Like they're so famous at Texas and like, I wish they could get some money out of it at least. I was, uh, someone asked uh, earlier, like which, which athlete right now would benefit the most from these rules. And I was so ashamed. I couldn't name a college football player, like, because I, I can name all the guys who just got drafted, but they just got drafted, so they don't count. Like, I, I can't think of, like, the, the North Carolina quarterback who's going to go, like, number two next year or any of that shit. So I was like, uh, 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 who's still at Duke? I didn't know. Yeah, who's got long hair? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> it was terrible. It was so, I felt so bad. Uh, do you want to play some Dead or Canceled? I, I'm scared, but Yes. Everybody's right. always scared. It's not like because you know, it's a hard game to win. Dead or canceled by the end of it. There's no the only way to win is. Not I think people are worried that they will either die or get canceled from playing dead or canceled, and Uh-oh. they're just not ready. I didn't know death do. was involved. You 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 won't die and you won't get canceled. You're dead or canceled, uh, subject this week, and you know the rules because I think you're our first yes. repeat guest. Uh, Jack Lemon, legendary actor Jack Lemon, is he dead or canceled? Kelsey McKinney. Ooh. I'm going to go with dead. He is dead. He died in 2001. Yes. The great Jack. <laughs> Uncancelable. Yes. A true American icon. And also, now that we can do our official guy of the week, Kelsey, and you will know that we're still not playing dead or canceled and that we're just remembering a guy. So alongside okay, Turk good. Wendell, we have to go with a Texas legend in, in honor of you. Of course, it's the great wide receiver, Roy Williams. We all loved Roy Williams, the wideout. Did oh, yeah. we not, Kelsey? Hook him horns. We love him. Hey, to watch him make safety? a one-handed catch. 
Yeah. Wasn't he was so cool when he was with the Lions and then instantly unusably bad when he was traded to the Cowboys. That's every Texas that player. Exactly. That's all of I know. them. <laughs> wasn't, uh, wasn't safety Roy Williams also a Texas player? Ooh. You remember I the safety Roy Williams? Yeah. He was a he Texas a player, wasn't career. he? I have no idea. All right. Well, I here's the part. Of you. Here's the part where <laughs> I look it up. Somebody can tick this off on the uh, their little bingo card because I was the one looking up the. Uh, he played at Oklahoma. He went to Oklahoma. Uh, oh shit! Yeah. Kelsey's gonna Heresy. stab me with a. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely Terrible. shoot me in the face. Oh, that's <laughs> totally terrible. different than Texas. It's slightly further north. That's <laughs> right. It is. I have to say, and I'm not saying this because Kelsey's on the podcast. But and I haven't been to Oklahoma. Be careful. But Texas is Texas is fun, and I would never fucking go to Oklahoma under any circumstances. That's There's the spirit. No That's what we like to hear. Uh fun bag time, Kelsey. <laughs> Kyle writes in. What do you think President Biden reads while sitting on the toilet? <laughs> and you can't say your own book. I mean, that would be the obvious, true answer. But what do you think the president reads while sitting on the toilet? I think. Uh, President Biden is, I think he probably reads like his granddad's old journals, potentially, <laughs> um, or like perhaps something that Jill just like handed him that he needs to read. I just, I oh, doubt that this man has saying. like a stack of information he's trying to get to. I don't think he consumes a lot of culture unless it's like from 1945. Yeah, I'll say that, like, the thing that I find sort of refreshing about him, I know that he's, like, trying to do Obama's third term or whatever. Obama always had to sort of, like, posture as a tastemaker. And I believe that he, like, really did read a lot of books and stuff like that. That just seems like the type of guy he is. I don't know what he was, you know, getting out of him one way or the other. I don't know what anybody gets out of the books they read. But Biden is not out there trying to be, like, you know, I can't do a good Biden imitation, but, like, the idea of him, like, reading a novel and then being, like, like Underworld, you got to read it. <laughs> like you know, the idea of like he's not reading like postmodern fiction. Like he is, I think, like as Kelsey said, he's reading like Zane Gray westerns that he like read as a child, and he's like terrific, slinging, slinging, slinging the guns and saving people. Yeah, he's reading he like Lonesome Dove. Yes, he yeah. definitely, which yeah. is like you know, it's fine. There's you can get something out of that, but at least he's not pretending that he's like really reading, you know, like Oteza Mosfeg and being like, <laughs> I get it, I really understand and enjoy it. I think he might be old enough to read a print newspaper on the toilet and like yeah. have it like a broadsheet too, not a tabloid one. And it's all the way open and his knees are like super spread. <laughs> and so, and he's just like, he's taking his sweet ass time. Like, oh, here's a David Brooks column. He, he knows his stuff. And just like while he's, while he's slowly leisurely pushing one out, like instead of looking at his phone, like I think he's got that grandpa energy to him. Do they still and print so, Reader's Digest? <laughs> <laughs> you know Ooh. what? I don't <laughs> That's a know. Good one. I don't know. I bet you I bet you they do. My wife used to work at Parade magazine and they still have Parade in the Washington Post and I shit you not, the Sunday's edition had a photo of Bruce Springsteen from 1980 on it and it said America's songs and it said Kisses Gene Simmons on page 2 and I was like this is fucking amazing that someone printed this in yeah. 2021, the year of our <laughs> lord and thought this was a good idea. Hey, Adam. I love to encounter like completely inexplicable content like that. There was one that people were passing around yesterday online that was a people 
magazine or people.com slideshow about like punk rock icons. Oh, and it was yes. like literally the first person in it was a Kardashian. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. And just, you just sort of like, yeah, I mean, I know somebody has to like put their name on this, but it's always it's weird to see something where it's really impossible to understand the process that produced like Gene Simmons on page two. <laughs> and and thinking that was okay. Like yeah. speaking of dead or canceled, Gene Simmons man. <laughs> right. Who fits the criteria better? Adam writes in, and Kelsey wanted this one on the podcast. Earlier today, Adam writes, I assisted an elderly stranger who collapsed outside. I was waiting outside a doctor's office for my wife when it happened. Nothing major. He had semi-passed out, partially from the heat, more so from his dialysis treatment he had just come from. He scraped his head and was bleeding, but I helped to steady him and await an ambulance. A few hours later, I was in a remote class on Zoom when I thought about what would happen if someone collapsed during a virtual meeting. If you're on the call for work, that's one thing, as you may know your coworkers somewhat well, and they probably have your address on file or at least access to emergency contact info. But my class is just kind of an extracurricular thing I'm doing. It's once a week and no one knows each other at all. What would they do if I just like collapsed on camera and started convulsing? Kelsey McKinney, what would you do if a stranger collapsed on a Zoom call? This is something I think about on every single Zoom call. Like when this came in, I was like, holy really? shit, this is access directly <laughs> into my brain. How do you get through? Aren't you anxious then? No, I don't know. It's okay, because like, that so would be weird. Like A thing about me is I'm like, um, I'm good in an emergency in general, but most of that is because I'm like always aware of potential emergencies. Right. Like I know where all of the exits are when I'm anywhere. I like am too focused on like how people are moving in crowds. Um, And when we first started Zooming was when I had read the first I just read like an early draft of Drew's book. And a big part of that book is that they spent so long trying to get in contact with his wife because nobody had his cell phone, had her cell phone number. And I was like, Jesus Christ, I need to text everyone I know Trey's numbers in case I like die on camera. Because also I'm like, this would be so embarrassing to go down in your Zoom class. Like everyone would know, <laughs> they would all be freaking out. Everyone would not know how to contact your family. And now you're like a whole meme. Like that's a nightmare to me. So usually when I'm talking to someone, I'm like, how could I get into contact with their family? And luckily I'm like very creepy. So they usually know how to do that. (laughs) That was something Kelsey mentioned in, uh, in Slack the other day that she's just like, aware and has been aware for some time of the spreadsheet that has every <laughs> uh, defector staffer's home address in it. Yeah. And it wasn't like a threat or anything. You were like, no, I know where that is. I've known about that document for some while. Now. We have I'm, a document. Oh, no, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say this document exists because one committee sends like birthday presents and stuff. So it's yeah. a nice, it's a nice document. It's also in the company drive. So I have, of course, seen it and navigated to all of my coworkers, homesonzilla.com. You know, it's a, it's a casual. <laughs> I don't have a problem. You have a problem. <laughs> it's like getting a ransom note on your, like if Kelsey writes a Zillowing out, uh, like post about your apartment while you're living in it, like that is a threat and should be received. <laughs> yeah, run. <laughs> Kelsey, I am like you where if I'm in a large crowd, I scan particularly like along the catwalks for assassins. I'm like, because I've watched a lot of 80s and 90s movies. I'm like, there's an assassin in here, and like, if I spot them, I might be able to foil them with like some, some karate and like some real, some real high tech shit. Like most, how formative Carlito's way was on our young minds. I do the same shit. It's so stupid. The most I've ever been aware of this was I went to a Tulsi Gabbard rally with a friend who was reporting it, 
And that was like a whole other thing. But a guy collapsed from like the heat in the room and we both like hit the ground at the same time. And we were like, oh, it's not a shooting. Like someone passed out. And I was like, this is really telling that like yeah. a loud mm. noise happened behind us. And we were both like on the ground instantly. I was like, oh, we, we should like go to more therapy than we already do probably. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Matt writes in, in 2014, I was an intern with the Washington Nationals internal broadcast and video production department. Back then, the Nationals would play Dancing in the Street by Martha and the Vandellas whenever they won, which I considered to be an absolutely fantastic victory song and one I looked forward to any time they were on the verge of winning by the 8th or ninth inning. By contrast, a as a grotesque Yankees fan by birth, I've had to listen to New York, New York far too many times to count, and it makes me want to take a path to Hoboken to spit on Sinatra's grave. So I ask, <laughs> what is the most jubilant victory song? Kelsey, you're not allowed to say Hook'em Horns because that's uh, that's an obvious one for you. But I want mm. so let's go let's go with let's go with professional ones instead of fight songs. Oh, I don't know. I like New York, New York. Like, not to be rude to our writer, but I think it's very sentimental and cute, and I'm a I sucker. Like it too. Yeah, so, I like it too. to me, that's good. If I you grew think up around here, you'd hear it differently. That's I fair. <laughs> I think that Rangers should play the Cotton Eye Joe at the end, and I don't really understand why they don't. Um, but if you work for the Rangers, you can call me, and I'll take credit for that. Oh, I know. Cotton Eye Joe is one of the, it's the funniest stadium song, too, because it's, you can't even really dance to it. Like, it's just like a, an annoying sound that you hear <laughs> while you're at a sporting event and you have to just fucking deal with it. Like, I kind of admire it uh, in that way. That's yeah, good. it was sort of, it was the, uh, it, it, it birthed peanut butter jelly time, that song. I mean, it's, yes, it's, it is. There's, it, like, absolutely Cotton Eye Joe walks so the peanut butter jelly time yep. could, could run, could no, fly. Wow. No doubt. I, uh, the Mets play Back in the New York, Back in the New York Groove by Ace Freely, which is an incredible song, just because it's, as somebody, a friend of mine pointed out, that it's like, it's not like, New York, New York is like about, like, I'm making it in a big city, like, they said I couldn't do it because I'm from Hoboken, like, there's a whole bunch of, like, New Jersey grievance wrapped up in that. Whereas, like, back in a New York groove is just Ace really walking around New York being like, hell yeah, look at me, on the sidewalk, crossing the street. But just, like, it's a dumb guy reverie, and it's perfect for, like, when you just beat the Cardinals somehow. I grew up watching uh, Revenge of the Nerds 900 times, so I want to answer We Are the Champions by Queen, but I can't because it's been so overused. But yeah. you know what hasn't been overused? Party Hard by Andrew W.K. at the end. Oh, that's a good choice. Game. That is what, if I mean, Dancing in the Street... Is also a fantastic choice. But if you had It's Time to Party or Party Hard or I Get Wet, really anything from I Get Wet, you're going to have a good time at the end of your game. That's what Why I Why do you think say. they don't play more Andrew W.K. I don't just, it, know! Because it feels like they only play, like a song has to be like either 30 years old or turned down for what to get played at a, a stadium now. <laughs> yeah. It's probably licensing fees. Yes, that is. Maybe that's what it is. The other good one that the, the Mets do that I'll just give them a brief little bit of credit for, because they've done a lot of annoying stuff at games. After they play God Bless America, which you got to do or whatever, and, um, you know, like, take me out to the ball game. They play the um, the dirty Italian wedding song from The Godfather during the seventh <laughs> inning stretch. Ooh, I like, like that. Like the song that the old guy sings where he's like, like Yeah, that. yeah, and he does and, and he's the old Italian guy shit. Like the dancing yeah. around, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Always slays. I love hearing it. That beats the shit out, God bless America. I would take that any, any time. Tommy writes in, Kelsey, with your innate and athletic ability, if you were seven feet tall, what's the highest level of basketball you think you would have competed at? Seven feet tall, Kelsey, 
Could you have played in the WNBA? No. I don't think I could have no? played in the WNBA. I am pretty athletic, um, generally. But I just... The WNBA players are so fucking good. Like, I... Right can't understand how good professional athletes are in general. I think I maybe could have like ridden the bench at a D1 school just for being seven feet tall, but I I don't think I could have played in the WNBA. But D1, kinda... you could have gone D1. I think maybe team two. Power the five. The B team. <laughs> would you be a power five D1? No. Or would you have no to go way. like, you have to go mid-American college? Yeah, I would have OBC. had to go to like, yeah, exactly. Uh, Roth, Which is fine. You can get a great uh, great education at Evansville. The Purple Knights. Seven foot tall Roth, would he have played for the Nets? I don't think I would have been able to play professionally. Because this is, I actually, like, I wasn't a, a great basketball player, but I was, like, a, a good player when I played. Like, But I had, like, skinny boy skills. So, like, the idea of, I would be an infuriating seven footer. Because I would be, it would just be, like, mid-range and perimeter shit. Like, I'd be Vlad Radmanovich. But without like the swag or the weird hair, and I think people would hate that. I know because like I myself have always detested watching players like that, where it's like you're seven feet tall and you don't want to dunk. Like you'd really rather make a jump shot. All right, cool. Like get the fuck off my team. You would be. So what, I think that that's more or less what I, I would have been. You would be what Porzingis has become. Yeah, more period. or less. Like and just as kind of glum, but I think like my hair wouldn't be as well organized. I Dude, uh, you should answer this question though. I would have I would have made a D one team. Oh, only by dint of being seven feet tall and thick, because I'm thick, <laughs> I'm a thick person. And so I think at that stage, like especially if you're a freshman, like I think a, col- a D1 college program can be like, okay, he's got the frame, we can work with him. I would be cut the next year, but they would be like, okay, we can see if we can work with this asshole. And just like, we can just, he's a body and he can like, maybe he can dunk. If I were seven feet tall, it would still be questionable whether or not I could dunk. But like he would, like they'd be like, there's enough physical there if you're seven feet tall for them to be interested in you and then they'll write you off later but they'll at least say okay there's something there that maybe i can work with and then it turns out that you know you suck i think it depends (laughs) on the era too because like seven foot and thick is like now maybe is worth a little bit less i feel like when we were younger and watching college basketball that was like not just like a valuable type of player, but like an identifiable type of player that most teams had. Even if they were just out there to like set picks or like give hard fouls, like you don't need to have like ace post footwork. Like if you were just like going out there as like a hyper competitive, uh, big weirdo, like I'm sure that you would have been able to contribute, uh, you know, like you would have been backing up Mitch McGarry, but you would have been able to spell Mitch McGarry every now and then. Yeah, you have to be willing to pull a Draymond and kick people in the nuts and stuff like that. <laughs> Are you saying that you would not have been I don't, to do that? No, I'm a, I'm a big pussy willow when it comes to that. <laughs> I can't do it. Uh, this is from, this is the email of the week. It's from Lou. Uh, Kelsey, who or what is currently living rent-free in your head? And this is not ironic. This is not, he's not asking this, uh, you know, to be a dick. What? Everyone's got something living rent-free in their head. Is there anything currently living rent-free in your head right now, Kelsey? It is Bo Burnham. It's, it's that oh! Bo Burnham special. Oh, I, wow. Everybody was... So I, like, loved Bo Burnham a long time ago, right? Like, watched his vines, was, like, into it. Um, and because... <laughs> I'm Roth, I'm sure you identify with this, because I uh, publicly have extremely bad clinical depression... Any time <laughs> any form of art about clinical depression comes out, everyone in my life texts me and is like, have you seen this? 
It's about <laughs> someone else oh, might help you. Yeah. who wants to die. And I'm like, cool, great. <laughs> Give it to me. Um, oh, you're clinically depressed? Do you know Fiona Apple? She has it too. <laughs> yeah, literally. But what's upsetting about that is that usually they're right. Like, they're like, you might like this. And I'm like, no, I won't. And then I watch it and I'm like, oh, I did, I did like it. Um, that special, I didn't, I didn't love it. But the songs in it are, like, too catchy. And so now, like, he has a stupid song about Jeffrey Bezos. And now every time I see Jeffrey Bezos' dumb name, I, like, hear his little voice in my head. And I wish to extract it, but I cannot. It just may be wow, stuck there forever. But I'll live. But all the bits I've seen from it, the little stills look excruciatingly theater kid to me. And yes. that's, like, a real, like, a raw nerve for me. Like, and it's not even that I don't, you know, I don't dislike anybody, really. I mean, certain people. But I don't, like, it. broadly speaking, I'm not, like, all theater kids must, like, get out of my sight right away there's just something about the idea of being like trapped with someone who's like emoting with their hands too much like i just want not to to be in that situation i thought it was very very well done and i thought the first half of it was was brilliant and yeah. and funny and i laughed even though i watched it alone which you shouldn't really do like yeah, i also yeah. watched it alone um but it was it was about life online and I can't take any more of that discourse. I just want to fucking die every time. Yeah. Like, the only person I want to hear about it from is Ashley Feinberg, and that's kind of it. Like, I don't yeah. want to know. Even though, even though the songs are funny, and even though, like, some of the jokes, particularly in the front half, are really brilliant, like, I can't, I can't. I just, I just it's not a subject, it's not subject matter I, I care to deal with. It's also hard again. because Burnham's whole thing forever has been like, don't trust what you see, don't trust art. Right. Like he would knock a water bottle over on stage and be like, oh, so sorry, my bad. And then a track would play that would be like he meant to drop the water bottle and he would do like a little dance. And so it's been really interesting watching people respond to this and be like, oh, my God, Bo Burnham was trapped in this room. He has clinical depression. And I'm like, have you learned nothing? (laughs) Yeah. The whole point of his work is that like art is fake and that it has to be taken to the extremes to like get you to feel anything. So I think if you know that, it's less interesting. It's weird that that's like a, a risky thing to do with your work now that like the interpretation of like certainly of like most writing and stuff like that, like any satirical intent or any like sort of like authorial voice is just like people are, they assume that you mean exactly what you're yeah. saying in like the most like negative and ungenerous possible way. I actually, I actually don't agree with that because it goes back to what we talked about last week where I don't think people mean what they say enough, particularly in movies, and they're always looking to undercut it and hedge it a little bit. So I that, think people try to get away with stuff yes. like, in that way for that reason, but yes. I also think that there is, like, a sort of a... Like, there really is... Like, I'm not going to, like, be a cancel culture person or whatever, but I think there is, like, a censoriousness or, like, a willingness to sort of assume the worst about stuff uh, off a headline, off, like, a title of a short story you don't like. Oh, Yeah. That I think is is kind of crummy. Roth, what's living inside your head right now? I I don't feel great about this. I think it is a uh, New York City mayoral frontrunner Eric Adams, ah. who I am fascinated by. I don't want him to be mayor, but like I also don't want him out of the news cycle because he's <laughs> fucking incredible. He's like, I mean, to be fair, like a lot of cities do this now, where they just they find the weirdest and most ambitious person and then they make them mayor. Like, there's nobody in Chicago that's stranger than Lori Lightfoot, you know? And, like, for a while, I, I loved that. 
because she would give these press conferences and she just is dressed like she just got selected in the 2004 NBA draft. <laughs> like some huge suit, like a fucking Samaki Walker cowboy hat on top of it. And you're like, what are you even going for? Like, this is about like somebody that your cops killed. Like, why, why are you dressed like a child at a birthday party? And so I would like enjoy how strange and petty and like vindictive she was because I don't live in Chicago. Right. And like now I am reaping the karmic crop that I sowed through that with Adams, who is just like, and I don't know, you know, a single thing about like what he don't think he really has very much in the way of policies, but just like his public performance of himself during the campaign has been so uncanny and so weird. Like just him, like walking reporters through the apartment he probably doesn't live in. (laughs) And like, like he's like a weird real estate broker. Like it's demeaning that you have to do that. Like this is like, what it means to be in, you know, to be running for mayor. It seems like sincerely one of the shittiest jobs you can have in America. But he is just such a a bizarre figure. Like, I can't get enough of him. And yet, like, I've also had enough, and I'm not really sure that I want him to be in charge of the city that I live in for however many years. Uh, for my part, uh, I have had a dude looks like a lady by Aerosmith stuck in my head for <laughs> oh, the part of a awful. week. How did that happen? Why? It's tough. I, I even tried. My daughter had, a, had an earworm stuck in her head. There's never a why. Kelsey, you know that. Well, sometimes you hear it and then it's it gets lodged. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, yeah, this feels like vacation related. Like, did yeah. you hear it at an amusement park? No, no. My like daughter a, had a, an outlet mall. My daughter had a problem. She had an earworm too, and I gave mm. her the Stephen Colbert method, <laughs> where you sing the Menin jingle. You go by Menin, and like that actually works a lot of times to get rid of really? an earworm. And I did it. So I'm like, I'm trying to sing deodorant jingles to myself. Get fucking Steven Tyler's old raggedy ass voice out of my head. And it's just, it's failing. It's still, ah, ah. It's still, I still get that, like his weird honking shit before he sings the chorus in my. Yeah, no, that's a, that's an awful song. That's an, uh, it's a really bad song. It is. I know I, the By Menon thing is new to me. There are some songs that I think of as being like, like break glass in case of emergency earworm things where like they're going to replace it and then they're going to be in there for a few hours. But like there are definitely times it's when like weird lines. Oh, ooh, I have, uh, so for oh, me, that's the answer. <laughs> Swift's blank space will do it. Uh, oh, that's a bad much sunnier sided American girl by Tom Petty has worked every time for me. And I like that song. There's just definitely like only so many times that you want to mention Tom Petty going like, <laughs> or whatever he does in it. Like, it's, it's enough of that. My wife can't listen to that song because of the uh, opening scene of Silence of the Lambs when she's driving the van and singing along to oh, it. Oh, yeah. Butchered, so that always reminds her of it. So. We got Brooke Smith into the, uh, into the podcast, Kelsey. We did it. We can stop Incredible. now. Finally did it. Hey, Brandon Nix is our producer and engineer. Daisy Rosario is our executive producer. Our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. You can listen to ad-free episodes of The Distraction only on Stitcher Premium. And thanks to Roth and me and Kelsey McKinney, you can get free month of Stitcher Premium right now. Just go to stitcherpremium.com and use this promo code DISTRACT. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you listen. And go subscribe to Defector.com, too, while you're at it. Also, please go buy Kelsey's book, God Spare the Girls, because uh, it's available wherever books are sold. And you don't even need my endorsement because it's been endorsed by, like, 50,000 magazines and 50,000 other authors. Like, people like it, and it's good, so you should buy it. Yeah. Otherwise, it, I will it is making you. the distractions summer reads list. Yeah. If you don't, oh, congrats on that. If you Thank don't you. buy it, God will hate you. That's true. <laughs> it's right there in the title. That's right. None will be spared. You'll have to beg forgiveness, and He will smite you down. Anyway, thank you, Kelsey, <laughs> for coming on the on. podcast. Bye. Thank you for having me. Bye. See Bye. ya. Bye.